Sing verse 2. I feel your arms around me as the power of your healing begins. Your spirit moves right through me like a mighty rushing wind. Light the fire in my soul. Fan the flame, make me whole. Lord, you know where I've been. So light the fire in my heart again. So light the fire in my soul. Fan the flame, make me whole. Lord, you know where I've been, so light the fire in my heart again. Be seated, please. Good morning. It is a blessing, an awesome blessing to come together and worship God this morning. Amen? Amen. If you're a visitor here with us this morning, we want to uh, say welcome. We would love to have you stick around for a little bit. Let us get to know you, get to spend some time with you. If you're just passing through, uh, we would love to get to know you and pray for you as you keep going on. Or if you're local here and you're looking for a church family, um, I know this family here at JA, they, they love uh, very big. And, and we're, we want to love on you and uh, we want to help you in your walk. Uh, Andy is out of town this morning. That's why you're stuck with me. I'm the low man on the totem pole. It seems how I always get stuck uh, preaching after camp, um, but I, I'm very thankful uh, to have this opportunity. I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. Andy this week is at his own week of camp. They're at Palmetto Youth Camp this week uh, in South Carolina. So please keep him in your prayers, uh, prayers for safety, but also prayers uh, that God is glorified through their week. Um, leading young people is not an easy feat. Uh, especially on a mountain, especially in weather that is not so great sometimes, uh, and especially in long and tiring days, but it's well worth it. Uh, and so you'll, I'll, I'll be speaking this morning, and then tonight, come back at 6 o'clock, and Jameson, uh, our intern, our male intern for the summer, is going to be speaking tonight. Uh, and let me tell you, these interns that we've got this year are fantastic. They have impressed me so much in these past three weeks. I know you'll be blessed um, by him tonight. But I'm excited to speak with you this morning, and, and the, while the title is very short mountain-ish, it might be a little deceiving. I, I don't know if I'll spend too much time talking about short mountain, um, but I think it is interesting, uh, kind of the, the correlation and, and how this lesson kind of laid out. Have you ever heard of the theme, let's see if this works, awesome, have you ever heard of the idea or the concept of thin places, Thin places. It was something that was kind of introduced to me. I heard a preacher one time talk about it, and it really intrigued me. So I started doing some more research about this idea of thin places, and it dates all the way back to the 5th century, and it was kind of an early Christian belief that was held with Celtic Christians, these early Irish Christians. Um, and they, it's the idea that they believed that there were these physical places of such extreme beauty or of religious significance where the boundary between heaven and earth becomes thin. There's a presence that is felt there. There is some kind of emotional connection that is felt with God in places like this. It's the idea, and that's where this kind of word, thin places, comes from. 
It seems to me more accurately as I've researched this topic and I've researched this concept that what these Christians were describing was not really any connection with an actual physical place, but more a heightened intimacy with God, right? This feeling of a heightened intimacy with our Lord and our Savior. What is intimacy? Intimacy is necessary for any successful relationship. It's a sense of closeness, of emotional connection, of vulnerability. It's a time that all the walls come down. The truth about who we truly are comes out. It involves a deep understanding, acceptance of each other's thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Most likely, these Christians were describing a place where they felt this with God. However, most often when we experience that feeling, it's often tied with an experience in a physical place or, or, or some kind of place, right? And when I, for oftentimes the places that I've experienced, these thin places or this idea of this heightened intimacy with God, so much was the church camps, the retreats, the late night devotionals, the late night cabin conversations, the 2 or 3 a.m. dorm room conversations that I had with good friends at Freed Hardeman. Maybe you have had those moments. Maybe you've come to a week of camp. Maybe you remember back when you went to youth retreats and late night devotionals and, and all, and maybe a very convicting worship service. It's when you feel that rush, that excitement, that conviction of spirituality. It's a place where the distance between God and man seems almost minuscule. More often than not, we've maybe heard them described as mountaintop experiences. Right? Maybe you've heard the analogy of the mountains and valleys, the highs and lows of life, right? The mountains being the high points, these thin places, what we would so often describe them. This idea of I'm at the peak of where I am spiritually. I've spent a week surrounded by great Christians who've really encouraged me and filled my cup, and I feel really connected with God. But then you have valleys, these low points. These places where maybe I don't feel as connected with God. I'm distant. I'm underneath the canopy. It's a dark place. The road is long. The road is tough. And oftentimes we view these mountaintop experiences as things that prepare us for the valleys that are going to come, right? That analogy is so often used. This past week, the teens and I went to Short Mountain Bible Camp. And for me, that place is a physical and and a spiritual mountaintop experience for me and for so many students Every major spiritual development of my life stems from an experience that I had on that mountain. And I know I speak for several of my teens and several of the people that I grew up with going to camp that that place was a place where I really grew spiritually almost every time I went. When we think of these mountaintop experiences, that's the image that I have. These moments of beauty, these great moments that are going to prepare me for what is coming next, those thin places in our lives. But when we look in Scripture, when we look at how mountaintop experiences are described within the words of Scripture, within the Old and the New Testament, we see some moments like that. We see some moments where people ascend and they have this moment that prepares them for what's coming next. But oftentimes, these mountaintop experiences are very stressful and high-anxiety climaxes of life. They're high points of conflict. In fact, they are painful and stressful. It's anything but a thin place for a lot of the people within Scripture that experience these moments. It's a moment that we maybe feel so far away from God. And this morning, we're going to look at an account where it seems like the mountaintop experience isn't so beautiful. Rather, it's stressful and it's painful. 
If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn over with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, if you're using the, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's a copy in the back of the pew in front of you, the little black book there, and if you'll turn over, that starts on page 882, 882 in the, in the black book in the pew back in front of you. But in Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verses 39 through 46. And to kind of give you a little bit of a context here, if, if you've grown up in the church, if you're familiar with this section of Scripture, you, you probably automatically know within the first few words of where we are. But this is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He's gone to Jerusalem, he's left Jerusalem, and he has gone to a place to prepare himself. He knows the crucifixion is coming. And this is him and his disciples, and they've gone to a private place, and this is a moment that we see a very intimate moment with Jesus on the top of Mount Gethsemane in the Garden of, in the Mount of Olives, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read with me verses 39 through 46. Start with me in verse 39. He came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. To me... This is one of the most powerful mountaintop experiences that we get an inside look in in Scripture. Because it's a side of Jesus, this moment shows us a side of Jesus that we don't get a whole lot of chances to see throughout Scripture. But it's a very real side of Jesus that that I think is just as important for us to understand. Because it really shows Jesus' humanity. To truly understand that the power that this moment has, we have to understand there's a duality with Jesus that we need to know. There's a duality about the Son of Man that really brings this moment to light. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, right? There, there is no parts, there is no like division, there's no mixture. He's 100% deity and he's 100% man right? It's kind of a deep theological principle that I'll just kind of give you a surface level over because honestly it's really confusing when you get down into it, but it's really not when you look at what scripture has to say about it. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the writer tells us that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Speaking about Jesus, when you look at Jesus, you are looking at a physical, breathing, walking representation of who God is. He has his power, he has his might, he has his compassion, he has his personality. He is the exact imprint. He carries the power of God the Father. But later on in Hebrews chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus was made like us, made like his brothers in every respect so that he might understand the path that we walk. Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, he is fully deity but he also is fully human. He understands the power that God carries, but he understands the way human life is lived. And this is a unique moment because while his deity side knows what is going to happen, he knows he will be raised there from the dead, Uh, his human side also understands the pain and the agony that he is going to feel. 
And I believe that both sides understand and they bear the weight and the responsibility that he carries in this moment. If he doesn't go through with this, if he doesn't go on to Golgotha, if he doesn't go on to the cross, salvation and grace does not come. God's plan will not be fulfilled. It's a moment where we see deity, we see God, feel, experience, and wrestle with fear. And that's an interesting moment. It's one that's very interesting to break down. Something that I've really challenged myself with recently as I've, as I've tried to study Scripture more and more personally and also for lessons, is a qu- I'd like to ask myself the question of why is this passage here? What is the purpose of this passage? Why does God, through the inspiration of His Spirit, include this passage? Why is it important for us to see Jesus in a moment of struggle before the crucifixion? Wouldn't it be more victorious, more valorant to see Jesus face the cross without any moment of struggle? Wouldn't it be just simpler in a way if we see Him approach it with such bravery and courage? Why do we have this moment that some may perceive as weakness. And I believe that if this was written by human authors, we wouldn't have this moment because it doesn't match the victorious narrative. Why is this purpose, why is this story here? As I've slowly started to ask this question, I've, I've really started to realize that nothing is in Scripture by coincidence or by habit stance, but rather this story is here to show us that as humans... As humans, pivotal moments can make or break our faith. This is a moment, a mountaintop experience. It's not like the ones we've talked about before, but rather it's what I would call a pivotal moment, a moment where the decision that Jesus makes is extremely important and has the chance to change no matter which direction he goes, right? It's a very pivotal moment. I believe this moment is here to show us that pivotal moments, these mountaintop experiences, can make our faith, but they can also break our faith. Maybe you've experienced some of those pivotal moments yourself. Maybe you understand the stress of trying to navigate these pivotal moments within things of your life. The loss of a job, the death of a loved one, the loss of a relationship, the moment where the sin we have been hiding in and taking our comfort in has been found and we've been exposed Whatever it is, there are these moments, these mountaintop experiences, these heightened levels of conflict and stress, and it's in those moments that we find our faith is either made or it is broken. And when you follow that trend, you see stories that really illustrate this all throughout Scripture. Where else do we see this principle of pivotal moments making or breaking our faith? I think specifically when you look at the Old Testament, one story that really stands out to me is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you have your Bibles, turn over with me to to Daniel chapters uh, 2 and 3. That's starting on page 914 for using the Pew Bibles. Daniel chapter 3, 2 and 3. This story is really interesting, and maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, they're friend, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are friends of Daniel who are taken into Babylonian captivity. Um, and, and they are in this foreign land. They're under this foreign rule. Their, their home is destroyed. But there's one story that they're very famous for. And it's kind of the story that we tell all the time of VBS because it's kind of the easier side of Daniel that we like to, that we like to talk about, right? This, this story in Daniel in the Lion's Den is the one that really we cover, but it's about the fiery furnace, right? 
talk about a pivotal moment. These are young men. They are in a foreign land. Their home has been destroyed. They are captives. The king makes a decree. When you hear these trumpets, you will bow down and worship this golden image. Or you will be thrown into a furnace of fire. But they are servants and children of God. They are out one day. These trumpet sounds. And there they are. Stuck in the middle of this pivotal moment. A moment of life and of death. You also have stories in the New Testament. One that really stood out to me was the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. Starting in around verse in around page 917, Acts chapter 7, what do we know about Stephen? Well, Stephen was one of the few men that was chosen. He was selected to serve the people, the, the body there of Christ in Jerusalem. He was chosen to serve these people who were being overlooked. It's kind of where we get the first model of deacons, right? That word just simply means servant. Stephen was a servant and he was chosen. Scripture says in Acts chapter 6 verse 8, that now Stephen, full of grace and powers, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen was a man of character. He was a man of, of great uh, fervency. He loved the Lord, he loved people, and he wanted to help people in every way he can. And he was doing these wonderful things, but then opposition arose against him. The Jewish leaders accused him of blasphemy, an offense that is punishable by death. He is brought before the court and a group of people who can legitimately decide his fate. A pivotal moment with a decision to make. What are these stories have in common. What is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and Jesus on the Mount of Olives? What do these stories have in common? What's the connection? All three are faced with incredibly pivotal, pivotal moments. A moment of life and death, a moment that makes or breaks faith, but all three respond the same way. All three respond with great similarity. Look back with me in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. This is the moment after that these men were, were caught not bowing down. I want you to imagine that scene. You were in the middle of Babylon. The trumpet sounds and everyone around you, hundreds of people in the street, all immediately hit their knees and they bow. And looking out, there are three young men standing in a crowd of hundreds. There was no way to hide this decision. There was no way to hide their act of faith. This was an all or nothing moment. They were brought before the king Nebuchadnezzar and he starts interviewing them and asking, why are you not doing this? Why are you not listening to this decree? And this is their response. And listen to the boldness that is in these three young men and their faithfulness in God in this response. Look at me in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, and Nebuchadnezzar we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you have set up. What faith, what boldness, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, 
He's brought before this court, and there's one question that starts this whole dialogue. It's the first question that really happens in Acts chapter 7. There's, he's standing before the high Jewish council, most likely some of the same members who put Jesus to death just a few months before this, and they ask him about his charge of blasphemy. He says, are these things true? And Stephen's faced with a moment. He could say, well, I don't really want to cause anything. No, of course this isn't true. Of course I'm not trying to cause anything. And If I can just get out of this, I promise I won't cause any more trouble. But what does Stephen do? I wish we had time to read this whole chapter, but Stephen launches into a sermon all about how Jesus is greater than Moses, the patriarch of the Jewish faith, and how these people are grieving God and the Holy Spirit because they are missing the supremacy of Jesus. And he's stoned for his actions. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are rescued, but for Stephen, sadly... He's not. He sees Jesus at the right hand of God while he's being stoned. He gets his reward, but there was no physical salvation for Stephen. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, one of the most powerful verses to me in all of Scripture. It shows the complete submissiveness of our Lord. Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What leads all of these characters to tackle this mountain, their mountaintop, with such faith? What leads these men to do this? Because none of these responses were in-the-moment responses. Not a single one of these people just decided they would face death that morning. These are not normal responses when it comes to these types of situations they are facing. What allowed these men, to, in the face of death, to accept it? With joy for the Lord. What was the difference maker? Their valleys prepared them for the mountaintops. When I was talking about this lesson with Andy, we both kind of thought it was really interesting how sometimes there are moments where the mountaintops prepare you for the valleys, but more often than not, the hard times in life, the valleys prepare you so much more for the heightened moments of faithfulness. When we recognize God's faithfulness in the low points, it prepares us to be more faithful in the high points. And I think these three stories really illustrate that because before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever saw God in the furnace, before they ever saw the fourth man in the fiery furnace, they saw God in the palace. It's a miracle that these three, that these four men, Daniel included, were selected to be a part of the young men that were brought into the temple. But if you know the story well, you know there's a moment that the king says, hey, we're going to put you on this diet, and we're going to see what size you can be. And this diet broke every restriction of Jewish law. They weren't going to be able to be obedient to their God under this. And so Daniel and these three men, they speak up and say, king, we, we cannot do this. But if you'll feed us water and vegetables, we'll beat every other candidate in this program. And guess what happens? The time comes. And Daniel and these four boys, or these three boys, look better and stronger than all of the other candidates who had partaken in the king's diet. Later on, Nebuchadnezzar is plagued with a dream, and no one can give him the interpretation. And the only ones who can is Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because God reveals it to them. Isn't it interesting how they recognize God being faithful in the little moments? It was clear to them that God was with them in all of these moments, so they believed he would be faithful to them 
and the big moments. Before Stephen, before Stephen saw Jesus at his stoning, he saw God changing, he saw God changing lives and the people that he was ministering to. Acts chapter 6 says that Stephen was making an impact on the people around him. He was seeing God working in the lives of people around him, and he believed that that was a cause worth dying for. He believed that was a God worth speaking up for, even if it meant costing him his life. He saw the evidence of God's faithfulness, even when it maybe didn't mean blessings for him, but he knew blessings for others would be brought. Before Jesus ever died at the cross, he died to himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, there is no better statement that shows that God's will was more important to Jesus than his self-preservation. There was nothing going to get in the way of Jesus fulfilling his Father's plan. In other words, they saw God's faithfulness in the small things, so they trusted him with the big things. Because they saw God's faithfulness in their lives before, they were able to choose his faithfulness in their pivotal moments, and they were convinced, they were truly convinced that following God, that God was worth following even if there weren't any blessings. Nothing could take that away from them. Nothing could take their faithfulness and their belief and the goodness that they had seen in God, even if there was no blessings to follow. What's the lesson for us? What's the connection? What do these stories teach us? If you have your Bibles, turn over me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, that starts on page 867 if you're using one of the pew Bibles. Luke chapter 9. And it's in this passage that Jesus gives, in my opinion, one of the most challenging passages in all of Scripture. Read with me, starting in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. And he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life uh, because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet forfeits himself? You have choices every day. Every day you wake up, every day you walk into school, you walk into work, when you walk on a ball field, a locker room, a stage, an office, how you choose to spend your money, how you choose to spend your time, how you act around the people you want to impress. Every scenario, every time we, we leave our house, even inside of our own homes, when we think no one is around, we have choices. Every day in the valleys, you have choices. In these situations, and it's as simple as, am I going to do, in this situation that I am faced with, am I going to do what pleases God, or, I'm gonna, or am I going to do what pleases me? Is my faith going to be the most important thing of my life, or is it going to be a part of my life? Am I willing to deny myself in this small moment, so that maybe later on, when a bigger moment comes, I have more faith then? Am I willing to die to myself daily so that I live for Christ, no matter the cost, even if it costs me something? Am I doing this daily? This is a question that I really challenge myself with. In the simple things, am I doing this daily? Am I doing that in the valleys? Am I seeking and looking for God's faithfulness in my life, in the small things, so that I can be faithful in the big things? Because if I'm not doing this in the valley, 
then when I have to choose on a mountaintop, I will fail every time. When I thought about this lesson and I thought about my life, I've lost so many smaller battles that I would have no hope in larger battles. This sermon is just as much for me as it is for anyone else in here. I recognize I can do better in choosing God in the small things in my life as well as the big things. Faithfulness on the mountaintops starts in the valleys. If I want to succeed on the mountains of life, in the hard places, I have to know God's faithfulness in the little things before I will ever trust Him with big things. Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 20 is really interesting because it's in this moment that the disciples, they're, they're well into Jesus' ministry. They've been following Him for a little bit. They, they've been seeing these works that are happening and they've been seeing this progress, but it's in this moment they get discouraged because there's a moment where a man came up to them kneeling before them and he's pray, and he says, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is an epileptic. And he suffers terribly, for he often falls into fire and often in water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. There's a moment where they're probably very disappointed. Because they feel like they should be able to handle this, right? They feel like they should be able to do this. And Jesus answered, O faithful, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have a faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. One of the things that I've realized in my short 24 years of life, and I know there are several in this audience who have much more experience in this area than I do, there are moments that God, there are moments in life that ask you for mountain-moving faith. Where there is no straight answer, there is no straight path. And it's a moment where you have to just believe and trust. And in those moments that I've encountered, I don't know if I've responded the way I've always wanted to, and definitely not the way that I think God would have wanted me to. And as I've done reflecting, I've looked back on that, I realized that It all stems from how I live my life day to day because I can never expect to be successful in the mountain-moving moments if I'm not successful in the small moments. Faithfulness on the mountains starts in the valleys. It starts with seeing God being faithful to you in the small things so you trust Him in the big things. But no matter where you are this morning, please, please don't forget that God that is greater than any moment you will encounter, that is bigger than any sin, impurity, mistake, wrong decision, terrible thing. That's such an important thing, and I think we can't miss that. And what that God wants more than anything else in this world is to help you through this life. So at the end of this life, at the end of all of this mountains and valleys, the peaks, the the rivers, the gorges, the forests, the floods, the storms, the misdirections, At the end of this life, God wants you at the end of your journey to fall into his arms. And he wants to say, I know it wasn't perfect. There was mistakes, but we got through them together. I love you. Take rest.
I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know whether you're in the valleys or whether you're on the mountaintop. I don't know if it's a good mountaintop that's preparing you for what's coming next. I don't know if it's a mountain that you never expected to be on in your life. But I can promise you the same God that I find my strength in in those moments is the same God who is asking you to come to Him now. Who wants to help you and who wants and is waiting for you to take comfort in Him. And He's not asking for perfection. He just wants your faithfulness. And there are, things in, are there things in your life that I know you're not... Are there things in my life that I'm not denying myself in, that I know I'm not denying myself in? Are there things in your life that you know you're not denying yourself in? And if it came down to it, would those things prevent you from making the right decisions in the pivotal moments? What's keeping you from God? This morning, if you need help denying yourself in some of the things that you are afraid are going to keep you from making those right decisions, we would love nothing more than to wrap our arms around you and walk with you. Maybe you're here this morning and this is your pivotal moment. This is a moment that God has been laying on your heart and this is a moment where he is calling you to follow him. And if you're ready to accept Christ in baptism and you realize that he's the son of God and he came to live a perfect life, die a terrible death, but raise victoriously three days later to give you eternal life, we would love nothing more than to study with you and to baptize you this morning. If you need anything, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?